I, I got my focus on passion and empathy Gaining perspectives, investing, I do believe Money and grinding go hand in hand, you will see I'm working smart, expanding my energy Hope that you feeling me, I'm acting differently You got a friend in me I'm working hard to try and work smart No time to complain, it's time to start We gotta work Future millionaires Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Future Millionaires. Today we have on Sean Lowry, who is an owner of the e-commerce store United Monograms, which surpassed $5 million in sales last year. With that being said, he is also the host of the Sean Lowry Show podcast. So without further ado, Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Just uh, you know kind of quarantined here in my podcast studio, <laughs> safe and sound. So yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. To give, to give the listeners a little context of, cause I'm not sure when this will come out. Um, you okay. know, times very little bit, but this is right at uh, the point where, you know, Corona is becoming, I guess a real issue. The date is well, St. Patrick's day. So yeah. yeah, just to give everyone's context for what we talk about, cause I'm sure that will come out throughout the podcast, but yeah. um. Big deal. It's affecting a lot of businesses and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, definitely I want to get into later how that's, you know, affecting yours because I saw something on your Instagram about it. But first, I'd like to start with just kind of like a 60-second snippet of where you're at right now so the listeners can get a little bit of better understanding of what Sean Lowry is all about. Okay. Yeah, what I'm all about. So I'm a businessman. I absolutely love business. I started in my mom's basement uh, right after I graduated college. That's where I started, and I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had read the book, Think and Grow Rich, changed my life. Ever since then, I've changed my mindset, had an entrepreneurial mindset, and started there. I had a few adjustments and pivots along the way until I found the business I'm at now. I have 15 employees, and we've been growing very quickly, and uh, and I started my podcast recently, kind of just for fun, and to keep yeah, myself yeah. sane, to talk about business. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm a go, go, go entrepreneur type of guy. I'm not like a, a passive income type of guy. I like to build businesses. I love getting dirty, working all the time. That's where I get my happiness and my fulfillment mm-hmm. from is building my business. And yeah, I'm young. I'm 30 years old, which I consider very young. I got my whole life ahead of me, but it's probably old for you, right? Because you're, <laughs> you're a younger guy. Still young for me, but yeah, you know, I guess older from my perspective, definitely. Right, right. Uh, well, then you can consider me wise. I'm wise. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just a, a quick tidbit. But uh, I just love business and uh, it's just so fun just to game them every single day. I'm right there with you, man. Keeps life exciting. Definitely. No, I can relate to that a ton. So I'd love for you also to dive into your early upbringing and when entrepreneurship was introduced. Because I noticed you, you, know, you said you started in your mom's basement. But were there any kind of like breadcrumbs that you found, you know, where you're like, huh? You know, maybe I am kind of an entrepreneur looking back at it and whatnot. And okay. Yeah. So I actually always say that I wasn't really an entrepreneur as a kid until I became about 19. I started reading the book, Think and Grow Rich. But I always mm-hmm. said that I wanted to be a millionaire and I, I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah, but yeah. I, I always said that. Uh-huh. And actually, I had kind of a crazy childhood. I was born and raised in Syracuse, New York. Well, I was born in Syracuse, New York. I lived mm-hmm. there for 12 years and my dad passed away from ALS and my families were like fought and disagreed mm-hmm. about some things. Then I moved to Chicago for three years. And then, and that was actually like the hardest thing in my life. I, in sixth yeah. grade, I had to move from all my friends into a new school across the country in seventh grade. And then I lived there seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Great years, but one of the great years of my life after I eventually made friends. Mm-hmm. And then I had to, and then because of some more family circumstances, I had to move again. And 
it was tough because then I was the new kid in 10th grade and yeah. I went through the same issues. But the resilience of, of moving both of those times, it was devastating both times I had to move because I was so sad to leave my friends and yeah. go on a whole new journey. And then after I got over that heartbreak, I had to deal with being a new kid at a new school in the beginning of the school year where like it wasn't like it was the middle of the school yeah. year so that, so they knew that I was new like they just thought that I had been there the whole time and, and, and yeah and so I had to like sit down at lunch tables I had to I, so I just learned a lot of like resilience and toughness and I got to adjust and be around different people and I think that uh those skills have have taught me a lot about uh they've translated to be an entrepreneur one having to learn and had to and having to adjust having to being able to act in different settings around different people and uh, overcoming like, you know, it's not as tragic as some other people have had it, but it was really tough moving away from my friends twice yeah, of in course. four year spans. Mm-hmm. So having kind of a, a deal with some adversity. Uh, and I just knew that I was resilient and tough and I got kind of tested, I guess, early in life. And it gave me some perspective. And then I transferred colleges after my freshman year. So I've always kind of, been on the move. And then uh, when I started my mom's basement, that was in Philadelphia. And now I live in Charleston, South Carolina. So mm-hmm. I've always kind of been on the move, kind of been adjusting and thinking. Yeah. And, re- and, I, and I never like to get stuck in my ways or set in my ways. Mm-hmm. And I think those are great traits for an entrepreneur. So uh, yeah, when I became 19, learned the entrepreneur, like what it takes, basically you have to have your own business yeah. and uh, kind of I wanted to be a millionaire and then I learned most millionaires have their own business. So then I started learning what it takes to start uh-huh. a business and just uh, all those things uh, kind of one thing after another kind of put me on the trajectory of having the skills that I think it takes to be an entrepreneur, which is toughness, resilience, and ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. And think or grow rich was what started that um, want think- to like learn more about business, right? Yes. That book changed my life. The day yeah. that- I was a different person before I read it than when I, when I was after mm-hmm. I read it. No, that that's awesome. Literally, I have, you know, those books are cheap now because they're out of like domain or whatever. They're like $5. So oh, yeah. literally, I know it's life-changing. And I, at my college, I'll hand them out to people for free. That's like, because it's, it's awesome. One good book like that. I mean, look what it did um, to start you on your journey. So that's what I hope to do for other people as well with it. Yeah. So with that being said, what was your first business that you started in your Ooh. mother's basement? All right, so... I wanted to start, I didn't know, I have any idea what type of business I want to start. So yeah. I, when I started thinking about it in college, I was like, I don't know. And she's like some type of brand. So I thought of like this stupid brand called, it was called S-Dot. My friends still make fun of me. Wait, what story. was it called? It was called S-Dot. It was, it ended S-Dot? up being about <laughs> S-Dot, E-S-D-O-T. Yeah, yeah. My friends still make fun of me till this day because of it. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know. I was, I started putting it on like shirts on like the internet. Yeah. And then when I quit, uh, I actually had a job for two months, a sales job. I quit it. I, I actually went up, I had a coffee on my desk and I was going to the bathroom and instead of taking a left to go to the bathroom, I took a right, went out to the parking lot to my car and went to my mom's <laughs> basement and I hadn't worked for anyone since then. Did you not like sales or did you just know like you wanted just, a different I environment? Just, I just wanted to work for myself. Okay. okay. I, wanted to, I knew I needed to start my own mm-hmm. business. I was 22 at this point. Yeah. When I was 19, I, I started having entrepreneurial thoughts, but I, I, yeah. I, I graduated college and I was mm-hmm. in a fraternity at the time and I, and I started up a few things. I actually started this like fest at my school. Well, that's, but, that's cool. Yeah. So I started to think entrepreneurially, but yeah. then right after I graduated, I got this job. I don't know why I just fought, but then I quit it and mm-hmm. I was like, all right, this is the start of my journey. So I had this t-shirt thing on my head. So I, I, I got a $1,500 credit card. I had no money. I don't come for money. Uh-huh. My mom's basement is this tiny little basement. It is, 
it is not a, it was like a, it's like a townhouse it's not yeah. big uh and i got i had fifteen hundred dollar credit card that i got approved for and i bought the screen printing equipment to make t-shirts and i didn't really know what i was going to do with it i thought i might start i just started yeah, yeah. that's good advice i think for the listeners is just start, just start. And I honestly, and I'm very action based. And that's one of my greatest strengths is I don't mm-hmm. get uh, stuck in what if, what if, what if, plan, plan, plan. Mm-hmm. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. And that's played out well for me. So I got my friend involved who's an artist because I'm terrible at art. And he was like, hey, I don't know about this whole S dot thing, but let's just start going back to our old fraternity and selling shirts to them. And I was like, all right. So we basically started like a screen printing business. And we did, okay. that, for about, we did that for about six to eight months wasn't really my original vision but uh it sucked it was terrible it wasn't yeah. we actually sold shirts back to our fraternity and they put them in the wash and they came out in the wash like uh our product was terrible oh yeah uh, but I, and, and we got i mean i think i i counted it up and we did about like forty thousand dollars in sales. We That's make- actually a good amount, though, for your first venture. Like we didn't, we didn't make, but we lost, we lost money. We didn't make any money. Like, Still, uh, though, like you know, right. you're getting somewhere for sure. I was hustling. Yeah. I was getting jobs. I was going to friends, family. I was doing uh-huh. whatever I could to sell. Hey, you need shirts for your. I remember actually, University of Penn. It was uh, near me, and I would. Uh-huh. I stood. I stood outside of the fraternities. And I stood there for hours. I just waited for guys to come out and I would start talking to them. Hey, you're in that fraternity. You need shirts, you need shirts for Rush. Like yeah, I, yeah. Was, I, was, I was a salesman. I was doing whatever I could to land these jobs. I landed uh-huh. some jobs. I landed some jobs. I didn't get a lot of repeat jobs because uh, every time we sold them shirts, they were so terrible. Yeah. Uh, that was actually one of our biggest problems was the quality of our product because uh, mm-hmm. there's details. If you want black shirts, you got to do this underbrace printing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so that was my first business. And it was actually called Ponzi Studios. I don't know. That was the name of it. And then after six to eight months, my friend, I, we weren't making any money. I said I wanted to move on. But one thing I did in the meantime, for fun kind of, was I'm a fan of Notre Dame football. I so was my, my grandpa. Friend. Huge fan. Yeah, yeah, he went so to Notre Dame. Yeah. He went there. My grandpa was just some Irish Catholic guy who got <laughs> me to be a fan. So I always make fun of myself for being a fan. Yes. I didn't go uh-huh. there. But I was a fan. And so I started a Twitter account and I got 60,000. This is around 2012, 2013. And I got 60,000 followers on the Twitter account. And I just tweeted on every Saturday during the game days for fun. And I tweeted tweeted like touchdown. Like I tweeted during the game and I built up an audience. What was the name of your account too? It was go fighting Irish. Okay. And it's gone now. And dude, I can't believe it's gone now. Like I, I did it for like four or five years after this business was gone, which I'll tell you about somehow. I think they like, I didn't pay attention to it over the summer when the season was off. I went to check it. My password was changed. I contacted Twitter. I swear oh. they, like, I swear they like cleaned it up. But, but mm-hmm. when it was really hot in 2012, Twitter was very popular then. Yeah, and the team was good. And my Twitter account was burning hot. It was 60,000 followers. <sighs> I made a Shopify store, and it was called Go Irish Fifteen Dollar Tees. Yeah. And I started selling T-shirts to this audience, and I and I had like. This was, I was struggling. I started my screen printing business. It was, mm-hmm. it was in the dirt. I was in my mom's basement trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. And I started to get sales and I, and I had tens of thousands of dollars of sales selling mm-hmm. Notre Dame t-shirts to this, through my Shopify site, to this audience of Notre Dame fans, which I had built up. And, and the t-shirts, were, you, were those from your screen printing or? So I, yes. Okay. I, I screen printed. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I sold them shirts. Yeah. Because I had this screen printing equipment. Because they, they didn't have print on demand back then, did they? Or I mean, 
Like maybe. probably not established. Maybe, yeah. but I, I, I mean, I, I can talk about print on demand, but yeah, I, you obviously have more margin if you do it yourself. Of course. But uh, so I had screen, I had my own screen, like I had my own screen printing equipment, and it was awesome. So I would print some shirts. I keep them in my mom's basement. As people would buy them, I would pack them in packages, drive to the post office, and it, I felt like the king of the world because I would check my Shopify and I would have eight hundred dollars in sales that day. Then okay. like. And then, like, they were really good that year. So uh, we had a shirt. It was 2012 and 0. And uh, they, got <laughs> crushed, they got crushed by Alabama in the national championship. Yeah. But there was, like, a, there's like a three-week period in between the last game. And Notre Dame doesn't have a conference championship game mm-hmm. in the national championship. So during those three weeks, I was having about $1,000 of sales a day. And I felt like the king I had tens of thousands of dollars of sales. And it was a huge success. I was making profit. I was making money. I was uh, learning about shipping. I was learning mm-hmm. about customer service. I was learning about logistics. And I, so I, so actually that got shut down because it's essentially copyright infringement. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it wasn't fair and it wasn't, just, it wasn't a sustainable business. They didn't take mm-hmm. any, they didn't take any money from me. That's nice. Uh, so, but I fell in love with selling products online to individual customers, B2C e-commerce sales. I loved it because mm-hmm. I hate it with screen printing that it was, it was so client-based, you know, like people mm. call me, I spent so much time with them, giving them pricing. Yeah. I mm-hmm. felt small minded. It could like, it was only local because I don't know. You couldn't really ship. It was like referral. Yeah, based. You'd have to like send people to go sell them in other States and whatnot. Yeah. And like, then you have to ship big boxes and uh, it's just so commoditized. Mm-hmm. Like it's people, everyone knows a screen printer. Oh, my buddy can make shirts for you. It's just, it's such a margin thin, yeah. small minded business. I hated that the whole time I was doing it. I was like, this feels small minded. And then mm-hmm. when I started selling online while I was sleeping to people in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, California, Maryland, New Mexico, North Dakota, I was like, this is something to it. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I can build an audience online through Twitter at the time. And then I can sell them products. I was like, this feels bigger. This feels, I love the idea of selling products to people across the country through a Shopify site. Yeah. So then it felt, I'm like, I love this. So the next thing I did was I had this idea. It was going to be $15 tees. Terrible name. I don't know. Cause someone could do $14 tees or I don't know. Yeah, and yeah. I was going to, I was going to do it for all these different states, cities, ideas, uh, and I had like all these different like Twitter accounts I was building up, but the one that mm-hmm. hit it, the one that hit it big was it was called USA fifteen dollar tees, and it was I built a Twitter account with about ninety thousand followers. Dang. That was like Fourth of July, American Pride, USA Red White and Blue. Yeah. That was like the niche, and then around the Fourth of July, huge success selling different patriotic, funny uh-huh. like red, red, white, and booze tank tops. You know, I'd print on all my screen printing equipment, so. Same business model, e-commerce, B2C, selling with my production. At this point, I had my own like little warehouse and better screen printing equipment. And uh, I was kind of building my production and I was storing my products. I I would print them, I would store them, and I would ship them out to my customers. So I started to fall in love with this business model and I've expanded (laughs) on over the years to where I'm at now. But that turned into United Tees, which was my business model. And then my girlfriend got involved and she was better at making designs. And yeah. uh, so then we started selling to guys and girls. And then we got to where I am today was people started asking for monograms. And we didn't really know what that was. And it's a, it's a girl-based thing. And it's very popular mm-hmm. in, the, in the, like the South, 
like the southern United States. Uh, and that's what we sell now. And it's monograms. It's like she, my girlfriend convinced me to buy a $500 embroidery machine. Because monograms, uh-huh. are tradi- they're traditionally your upper left chest. It's the girl's three initials. It's your monogram. And it's like a thing. Do you know what they are? To be honest, they're not that popular in Wisconsin. They yes, they are very popular in the South, and it's crazy because uh-huh. on our, on our, when we're when people are shopping on our site, we have like a map that shows little orange. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the, uh-huh. and we're trying to expand it across the country, but we have a built-in audience like in the South, from Texas uh-huh. to South Carolina, up to uh, like around Missouri, down mm-hmm. to down to Texas and Florida. That's like the base of where monograms are popular. So we found this niche. And the first year, it was like 90% United Tees, 10% United Monograms. The next year, it was like 50-50. And now we found this niche that's so good. And mm. it's so good because girls love shopping online. We have repeat customers mm-hmm. because people love it. But one of the problems with, uh, with the T-shirts and the United Tees was so many people can compete. Anyone can make T-shirts, and mm-hmm. they can go on Teespring. They can go on print on demand and make, come up with a funnier design than me and mm-hmm. compete with me. And with monograms, we are still e-commerce. We are still B to C. We sell directly to customers. We do it online. We do it across the country. But we're harder to compete with now because now we have some complexities in our products. Mm-hmm. We still print. We still embroider. But we have this like more complex automation for every single one is, is different. Yeah. So, so we found, I started on the business. I always tell people to focus on one thing in business and that's one of the yeah. most important things. And when you hear my story, it's like, okay, you did Notre Dame, you did America, you did monograms. You weren't focused at all. But I was always focused on B2C, direct business to consumer, selling mm-hmm. directly to the consumer, not business to business, selling directly to the consumer and doing that online. So now we just have a very, very smart way of doing that. And because we sell direct, we sell monograms directly to the customer, but everything they buy from us is still the same. We package it up and we ship it to them. And the shipping over the years, I've learned all the shipping complexities. I've stayed on that. I've learned all the yeah. details of, of how to get the blank items, t-shirts, sweatshirts, getting them some, from suppliers. I've learned that. And building a customer base and selling them products. I've learned that. And now... We just have more complexities because we sell personalized items. So mm-hmm. we, and we have 15 employees. We have an embroidery department. We have a printing department. And everything we sell is personalized with a monogram on it. And uh, I've stayed focused on B2C e-commerce. And mm-hmm. I found this amazing niche by doing yeah. all this pivoting. I found this amazing niche. Now I have a $5 million business that's still growing. We've done over 10, 12 million in sales, just 5 million mm-hmm. last year. And we're, we're, we're trying to get to, we're trying to double this year. It's been a little yeah. slow down right now. Uh, yeah, but, it was good old Corona. Uh, yeah, yeah but, uh, but the business is booming. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, through all those little pivots and all those little adjustments, I stayed good at knowing what I do well. And I've made pivots and adjustments where I've needed to. And I mm-hmm. found this great niche that I, I always make fun of myself that I sell girls clothing because my fiance is great at, uh, she, we're, we're getting married in like a month. I don't know. Now. Oh, congrats. Thanks. I don't know. With the yeah. coronavirus, I don't know. But oh, uh, yeah. yeah, but point is we've been together four or five years and she is, is helped with like the fashion and this in the style. And I've been able yeah. to build the business, hire the employees, do the branding, do the marketing, the Facebook ads. Definitely. So I love the fact that I don't have to worry about, um, making good designs because that's not my strength so we got Mm -hmm. her girly look my business strength and we've combined it into this like 
with this great market that we found that we landed on and identified and pounced. We've had uh, like over five, six, I think up to maybe 10, 15,000 customers now who have placed multiple orders with us, yeah. which, is, which is huge in e-commerce. We're retaining our customers. They buy something from us once, they buy from us again, they buy from us again. And uh, so yeah, through all those little pivots, we found this great business. And I say I'm a B2C e-commerce sales expert and uh, I am not building a Teespring. Every, I, you know what Teespring is? That yeah, is, yeah, of course. It's like, and that is for people who they are good at making designs and they want to mm-hmm. have a cool design and they want to start a business and they'll go on Teespring and they'll start selling to their customers their design on Teespring. And that's cool. But uh, I, I always say that those people, they're, they're more like kind of doing a, a side hustle. It's not really building a business because they don't control their margins. They don't control their, their products. They don't control their pricing. And it's a good way to start, but yeah. I control all my processes. And I, with monograms, mm-hmm. I, could never, I could never do Teespring. So I am committed to building a physical business with shipping and employees yeah. and warehouse space. And I like that. I want to do that. And I'm committed to that. And uh, it's going to be hard for other people to compete with us. It's going to give us competitive advantages. Maybe in the future, we can build some type of Teespring business and we control the production. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. The whole world's open to us. The whole world. <laughs> uh, but I've decided, yeah, that I want to control the production. And uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. No, I mean, that gave a really good insight into kind of like how you transitioned from, you know, that original. It, it's funny because I feel like uh, a lot of times the original business shows up in the current business, you know, just like those skills, um, what you've learned, especially in this scenario. I mean, clearly they're not identical at all, but just the fundamentals of the two are very, you know, crucial to doing that. But, um, and just to give the listener some context, if you don't know what Teespring is or print on demand, um, it's basically just like you can print out a t-shirt and, oh, basically it's like drop shipping, but with t-shirts, right? A company can print one out. You create a design. You put it on the internet and then this company, then you, then you promote it. And if someone buys it, the company will print the shirt and ship mm-hmm. it to the customer and you get a small percentage of that sale. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Sean's definitely right. The margins on that are pretty terrible. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so it is important. Like, I don't know, some of my friends, you know, if they're interested in starting a clothing brand, I always tell them, you know, start with that and then it's transition. It's a good way to start. It's a yeah, good, good you get way to, to start. save some cash. You get to see if people are interested in even buying exactly. your product. And if, and if 5, 10, 20 people buy it, then maybe you can think, all right, how can I do my own production? Blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's definitely a good way to start. I encourage it for people who just want to start. Yeah, definitely. But one thing that I feel like has, and I mean, I know you know this, like just the niche that you talked about and finding that, how it's been able to explode your business. Oh, but right. I want to talk about how you we were able to do that. Cause I know you mentioned pivoting, right? And I get that, but more in depth in the tactics of okay. how you were able to pivot and just analytically see that this was going to crush it and then how you tested it and found that. Okay. So you need a niche in order to sell anything. And I made it sound easier than it was with my story because the sales part I kind of left out, but Mm -hmm. okay. If you just make a t-shirt and put it on Teespring and try to sell it, no one is going to buy it. No one. Like if you've made a cool logo or if you make an awesome design, you need a niche. You need to know what you're selling. So the Notre Dame thing, I got, I knew what my niche was. It was people Name football, and it was hard to build that account up in 2012. Twitter was much more popular, and you could do this thing where I would go to other Notre Dame accounts 
and I would follow all the people who followed them. <laughs> and they would get a notification. Yeah, yeah. Notre Dame followed you. Then they follow back. Then you like unfollow. You mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. And like, uh, but I knew what I was going for. And then with, with the America account, I did kind of the same thing. But if t-shirts are just like the easiest way to like kind of monetize something. But first, don't start with mon- start with what's your niche? Is it is it skateboarding? Is it what do you have a community of people who love? And mm-hmm. that is the most important thing. And, and I, I forget, what, what exactly was your question? How do you how, like? Yeah, yeah. So how are you? Because I know you pivoted a ton, but how are you yeah. able to identify this is the community? And then once you do found that, how are you able to really just go in and be like, okay, this is so, what we want to focus so the, on. So the Notre Dame one I did by accident, and mm-hmm. because because I liked Notre Dame and I made the account, but yeah. then. But then when, when I decided that I wanted to do another niche, I was like, okay, I need to build another audience first. So I made this account and it was, it was called Our Free America or something. And it, it wasn't mm-hmm. like me. It wasn't like my face. It was just very like patriotic, like flag. And the reason I did that was because one, I know there's a built, there's a built in love already mm-hmm. for, like America. And it was, it was copyright free, right? It was yeah. red, white, and blue. So that was my reason. But before I even made my first t-shirt design I, for months, I, I tweeted, 10, 20 times a day, not selling anything and building hmm. up an audience of people who wanted to follow that account because yeah. they loved America. I, so for months and months, I didn't try to sell anything. I just mm-hmm. collect, and it was a lot of work to make creative tweets yeah. uh, about a loving America and building up the audience. And now you can't do that because Twitter's not as popular. So you need different strategies. Mm-hmm. So I strategically picked that audience and uh, I pivoted to that and I started selling them shirts. And then when we got the monogram thing in, it was, it was funny because it was the strategy kind of changed because it was less building up an audience of people who love monograms. And we did that, but that was with our account that sold monograms. Yeah. So it's funny because around the same time, 2015, 2016, no more attention on Twitter. Like Twitter used to have the most organic audience. It was crazy. It might have yeah. been before your time. Now Twitter has barely any organic audience. I mean, in different things it does, but n- then it switched to Instagram and Facebook. And so mm-hmm. we built Instagram and Facebook. And now we have to pay. So now yeah. it was great. It was great that Twitter was uh, so good in 2012 because I had no money mm-hmm. and it was kind of free. It was free because the audience and the eyeballs were there. I had to do a lot of work and a lot of clicking yeah, and following yeah. and tweeting to get that audience. I had to be smart and strategic. But now, the only way that I know to get these free eyeballs is, 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 is uh, we pay. We pay. Yeah, yeah. I, I am now an expert on Facebook and Instagram ads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it took me like a while to figure out how to be so good at it. But now we just have our audience. We have over 300,000 likes on Facebook. We have 130, almost 1,000 Instagrams for followers for our mm-hmm. account United Autograms. And we have a great audience. We're obsessed with providing value to our audience. Mm-hmm. Pictures. We do a weekly like live show and giveaway. We yeah. are not, we do a free, uh, we're obsessed with our customers now. But we spend money now on Facebook and Instagram. And if, you, if I had $0 and I had to build an audience uh, from scratch for someone who's young and that's listening. I would, I, my, my, I don't know exactly what the tactics would be, but I know that I would find something that people already love, mm-hmm. whether it be, I mean, for me, it was Notre Dame America, but whether it be, I mean, 
like a skateboarding, a sports team, yeah. uh, it's a very, something very specific. Like a sports team is a good one. And you can, and maybe you can't sell, the hard part is you can't sell products to them, but mm-hmm. you can build an audience. Start a Twitter account of, uh, I don't know, uh, like Michigan, Michigan Wolverines. And, and people already love that. And you can maybe build an audience around people who love the Michigan Wolverines, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, wherever it is. And then you have that audience and then maybe you can try to think of a creative way to monetize that down the road. But build an that's my advice. Try yeah. to find something that people already love and start building an audience around it just because it's easier. If you want, mm-hmm. to, start, if you want to start a podcast where people just love you and your opinions and your brand, that's going to be harder because no one knows who the hell you are People mm-hmm. probably don't care about you and business is pretty vague. Uh, so that's kind of like a hack. Start yeah. a business around something that people already love. And, and then once you have 10, 20, 30,000 people with attention, you can find a way to monetize it. And it's going to be hard and copyright, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not Michigan Wolverines. Maybe it's just people who love the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, and then you just tweet funny things that are specific to the state of Michigan, Flint, at, where no water. I don't know what it is, but you, if you're like the expert on funny things about the state of Michigan, rivalries between Michigan state and the Wolverines, or like you just have all the funny memes about the state of Michigan mm-hmm. and anything that goes on, the mayor, the governor, you're just the source for funny memes and information on the state of Michigan. You get everyone in the state of Michigan to follow you. That's a built in audience that now mm-hmm. you have all their eyeballs and attention and then yeah. you, can figure, you can figure out how to monetize that so that's just uh an idea um yeah and you definitely. talked about pivoting that's why i pivoted i pivoted from i combined niches who i was selling to with back ends of what i was producing and mm-hmm. I, I, I took those two things into consideration as i made the pivots yeah so niche and that's yeah. what i meant monograms it's interesting, uh, you know, to talk with somebody who started in a way where they were always producing what they were selling, because I feel like so many times now e-commerce stores, like you look at some bigger brands too, like a movement watches and whatnot, you know, they started with AliExpress drop shipping. And then, so it's just interesting to hear that perspective too, from kind of like, um, always been doing the fulfillment and the supply chain with that. It's so easy now to start selling products with drop shipping and third party fulfillment. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people do. And uh, yeah, I guess it's a little different for me. And I love the fact that I always controlled the production because yeah. I mean, it is the difference between a real business and not a real business. Yeah, no, it definitely has to do a lot with like retaining uh, customers, you know, keeping them happy, not having to wait two weeks, uh, four weeks for getting their product. So for sure. And with that too, are you guys utilizing anything um, on the influencer side of stuff, you know, um, like user gems, anything like that with Shopify? I don't know what user gems is. Oh, for real? No. So user gems, to be honest, I don't think a lot of people know about it, but basically what it does with e-commerce stores um, that are through Shopify is it will take everyone who bought from you and it will organize uh, who has the most followers out of the people who bought from you. And then you can go back in and like contact somebody and be like, Hey, you know, I'm the CEO of blank. We contact like five people a day. Um, and then just start a conversation and, you know, see if they're interested in potentially promoting the product. That's really cool. I love that. But, uh, but yeah, we do do influencer marketing. We do tons of, Mm -hmm. we pay, it's actually, I think it's a little overpriced to be honest. And that's something that we're working on, but we pay 
because because now our industry is like fashion, like girls fashion, yeah, which, yeah. which is part of my pivoting and adjustment. Girls love shopping online. So like this girl fashion business is a great niche that I found. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I pivoted here and the whole monogram thing adds a, a special element to it. But we pay mm-hmm. fashion bloggers lots of money. We send them products and they post it on their stories. And their, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we do tons of influencer marketing. And then I find it valuable because then we get the pictures, then we can promote it and run it yeah. on our own ads. Uh, but yeah, we do that. We do that. Okay. So then paid traffic too. Has that been the main source and you're selling through, I'm assuming like your biggest platform is Instagram or what's that so, looking like? So Facebook and Instagram are the same thing on the mm-hmm. back end. Facebook owns Instagram. So Facebook ad platform is where I spend all my, all my time and money really. And it's turned out to be very effective. It's the yeah. best way. Because, and there's different things within it. Uh, there's story ads, there's uh, uh, carousel ads, there's promoting posts, blah, 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 a bunch of different strategies for that. But that is where I spent all my time and effort and money. And I don't like the fact that I'm just, you know, using one place. If it ever gets taken mm-hmm. away from me, I'm screwed. So we have, we have 300,000 people on our email list, which no one, ever, no one can ever take that away from us. Mm-hmm. So we, we have that. But I try to try other things. So Snapchat has a decent ad platform. Yeah. Now they're, they're not getting as much eyeballs lately because Instagram kind of stole their uh, whole yeah, thing, their story. The so they actually have a good ad platform, but I haven't been putting as much money there because it hasn't been working. Uh, mm-hmm. I, applied, I applied to be, so Twitter has an ad platform. Every single time I've ever used it, they suck. If I put a hundred dollar budget in or something, they suck yeah. my hundred dollars and I get no traffic or money. And I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. So I, maybe I need, it's, it's probably been um, six months since I've dived in. Uh-huh. So like, maybe I should go back in and be readjusting how good are Twitter ads, but I don't uh, spend a lot of money on Twitter ads. Uh, so, I mean, there's all, here's all the ones that exist. So Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, uh-huh. Snapchat, um, Google, Google ads. It's like, uh, we we run some and mm-hmm. uh, we're starting to try, we're starting to maybe to try to produce more commercials because because Google and YouTube are the same they own each other yeah uh, so so that's running ads on like pre roll on YouTube yeah and uh, kind of you know and we do run some basically if someone searches United Monograms we should come up like we have some but not a lot mm-hmm. from that not a lot not a lot on yeah. Google. I actually found most of the people most of our money spent on Google ads was people who are already searching our brand name, United Monograms. So mm-hmm. then they would just click on our paid one, but they would have found us anyway. So like, I haven't been putting a lot of money into Google ads and that would be the next one that I think I might need to go back into and do more on. What about TikTok and whatnot? So you explored I, that platform? So that, that was the next one I was going to say. Yeah. So I applied to be an advertiser on TikTok and didn't get here anything back. But as far as producing content on TikTok, United Monograms has a TikTok account. We have about 300, 350, 400 followers. Mm-hmm. Not, not a lot. And, uh, it's funny because I used six years ago, I used to be more of like the, the, the grinder and the, I would be more of an expert on how to get organic traffic and then how to turn that into, but now I'm kind of more of a paid ad guy because yeah. I guess I'm like a little more mature and, and maybe I need to like slap myself and get back on like the ground floor. But uh, I, I will admit the fact that I can't have links back to my website and, and paid ads on TikTok has made me not spend as much attention on it. And the other thing is, is it's harder to produce content for. Like, True. you can't just take a pretty picture. Like, we have a whole system. We Every week, yeah. we, go out, we get pictures with models. 
we get all these pretty pictures. We have a whole, and we got all these new pictures. We post them, we run ads. I can't just take those pictures and like put them on TikTok. You know, it needs to be produced originally. Yeah, yeah. So we've tried to like have some original content for TikTok. Um, and we've gotten, to, we had one TikTok that had like 30,000, 40,000 views. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't directly turn around and get links and, and clicks back to the mm-hmm. website, which is our ad spend money to re- So we are engaged in TikTok and we aren't as, we're not doing as much as we should on it probably. Uh, But um, it's hard because like, you know, we sell pictures of pretty girls and wearing Mm -hmm. the monograms. And I've been trying to think of creative ways to put that on TikTok. And we've tried to like, you know, in our warehouse, have a blank monogram and then have it get embroidered Uh and pop up and have it, but we haven't, we haven't put as much time resources into it. But uh, I think we, might, we would be more interested if we got approved to be an advertiser on there. Because they, yeah. they have ads. Yeah, yeah. And so the, with the approval process, because I actually have no clue for TikTok um, how that works. Is it like a certain amount of time you have to wait till you figure out if you are or aren't? Or is that a big question mark for all of us at this point? Uh, I, I, I applied and uh, they said we'll let you know and I haven't heard anything back from them. And I know that Snapchat before they went went public, like Snapchat yeah. went public and then they had like a, an ad platform, which is what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, like they went, after they went public, they had an ad platform, which is basically like for everybody. And they're just pretty good. But I think that TikTok, once they like get bigger, they'll have an ad platform, which anyone can access. But I think I noticed that the ads on TikTok right now seem to mostly be like bigger, really big companies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm wrong there, but I don't know. Our company hasn't got approved and maybe I need to go back in and contact them. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I got no clue on that yeah, they, they, I know that they don't have an ad platform that's accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, and, that is true. And when those companies go big, when Twitter went public, when Facebook went public, mm-hmm. when, when, when Snapchat went public, then one of the main things they do is create an ad platform that's accessible to everybody. So then small advertisers can use them. And I don't think TikTok's mm-hmm. there. I don't think TikTok's there yet. Yeah. So uh, what, but, what's yeah. been the hardest part of this all to scale? Because I know you said you brought on 15 employees. I mean, while maintaining margins, like, you know, how, how has that all been while you bring on more people while still trying to, you know, hold on so, to those healthy margins? So my craziest story was about two years ago now. It's actually every time I tell the story, it gets a little further away. But two years <laughs> ago, two years ago, maybe a little less than two years, my business crashed and failed into the ground. I was $300,000 in the hole and I had to let go half my employees. And the reason was I was transitioning from paying no money in ads, having all these sales Mm. to to paying money and hiring people. And I was booming. I I was having a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales a month. And it was great. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was great. And I was hiring people and hiring people. And then around the holidays, our business always booms, right? So Christmas. So then it was January, February, March. I guess it's March now. So it's probably two Marches ago. Mm -hmm. I promised all my employees were booming business, we're growing. And I kept all my employees. We had like 11, maybe nine, 11 at the time. And Mm -hmm. I'm talking, I'm talking shippers, printers, physical labor workers. Mm -hmm. And I kept running ads to get sales. And I was, so I was losing money. I was... I was trying to keep the work to keep my employees busy, to keep our revenue growing. And in order to do that, I spent money and I was spending money on the ads and I was, I was kind of newer to it. 
Uh-huh. And I spent so much money on the ads to keep the revenue coming in. And I wasn't smart enough that I was losing money every day. And uh-huh. I was, I was $300,000 in the hole. I remember I had so little money that uh, me and my fiance would go to the store to buy spaghetti and our cards would get declined. And yeah. we still had like revenue coming in. So we say we had $3,000 in sales in a day, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a terrible day. And, and that money would like come in in the morning the next day. And I would try to like take that $3,000 at 9am when it came in and pay off a couple bills here and there. And then at 11, a bunch of bills would come out. So then the bank account, account would have like negative 4,000. And then I would get like my bank fees and then that would all drop off. And then the next morning I would have like 30 bucks and then a few bucks would come in and I would just, it was the messiest disaster. Yeah. And, uh, I had to, uh, I, I bought a house and I had to uh, rent the house out on Airbnb and sleep at the office. Mm-hmm. And it was a uh, terrible. And the reason it was, is because I was transitioning from paid ads to paying employees to having mm-hmm. a payroll and it's just business, business, uh, growth, uh, problems. And, yeah. um, at the time, I'm very proud of how I handled it at the time because mm-hmm. I knew that I knew by reading all my books and understanding that how hard business is and 95% of companies fail. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that, and I'd been in business for three or four years. I was, I was lucky to have this success and I knew I have obviously had pivots before and little ups and downs. And, but this was a mm-hmm. tragic downfall. Yeah. And I kept, I kept a positive mindset. I woke up in the morning and I was, I was like, I would wake up and I was like, let's go. And I took pictures of my negative bank accounts. I took pictures of me and my, my fiance sleeping at the office. And I was uh-huh. like, we're going to look back on this one day and we are going to have a great story to tell. And mm-hmm. so we fought through it. And one of the lessons there is just perseverance. And I knew that I had a business that was good. This monogram thing was great. It wasn't the customer's yeah. fault that I ran it wrong. So I knew if, if, no, if we had no sales and we had terrible products and customers, no customers, no one's buying anything, yeah. that, would, that would be a different problem. The problem was I, was too, I, was, I had a logistics problem with, with ad spend. And so I knew I had a good business. I mm-hmm. knew I needed to fight through this with perseverance and toughness and it was le- legitimately crazy perseverance and toughness. To get yeah. And also I learned legitimate numbers of how to run my business. I now know that I can't spend more than 25% of our daily revenue on advertising. And now I have all over my company. We all have access to these data. It's called grow. It's like a metrics platform. And mm-hmm. if everyone knows in my company that if we go over this certain percent of ad spend that it's bad. Yeah, so yeah. if we're ever getting high sales and it's up at like 27, 28%, like I know that I need to shut the sales down and just start running things more efficiently because people will still buy stuff, but it'll just be, we spend too much that we lose money. So mm. now through that, I learned the metrics to run my business. So then I took that and I learned these new Facebook, this is really getting into the weeds, but no, I love it. Man. With Facebook ads, if you spend $1,000 a day, you can put in $1,000 a day and they'll spend $1,000 a day. And I learned that there's this thing called uh, manual bidding where mm. I can put in like a cost that I, a cost per conversion or like, a, and, and I've learned through millions of spreadsheets. It's different with every business, but basically it's like a cap that if the, mm-hmm. ads, not, if the ads not performing well, Facebook will stop. They won't like, you'll put in, Actually, all my ads on Facebook right now, they say to spend a million dollars a day. 
I never mm-hmm. spend a million dollars a day, but it's basically get me as many sales as you can at this cost. Yeah. And so I basically found a way to cap my ads to now this is different with every business and every margin. Uh, but I know my specific between my margins and my revenue and my specific business. I know exactly what, uh, like uh, cost I need to get on Facebook per sale. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know I needed to be a 2.5 return on ad spend in Facebook. So it's great. So I know that and I set that so I can just set ads and I run the ads that I, you know, I try to run the best ads possible, the best products that everything Mm -hmm. goes into it. And if they perform well, they'll get a lot of sales and they perform terribly. It won't lose me any money. So through that terrible downturn, I, I had no choice but to learn this stuff. Yeah. So then once I learned it, once I fine tuned it, once I pinpointed it, figured out the metrics, all this stuff, all the details. I now know how to run my business. So that was so exciting. So after Mm -hmm. that, after I fought through, got back, got a few bucks, paid off. It took me months to pay off all my bills and all my debts. Now I had a good business. And if it, uh, if it weren't for all that, I never would have learned. So, uh, I'm happy that it all happened, but, uh, I learned very specifically how to run my business. And, uh, it was crazy. It was crazy that I had to go through all that. But I'm very happy that, and actually now is like the first time that uh, we're kind of hitting another little thing with this whole coronavirus. Yeah, because the economy's been booming. Uh huh. But I have no doubt. And actually, today we just I met with my two or three salesperson team, and no one wants to buy clothes because they don't know when the next time they're gonna wear them is. So we're adjusting, and we're looking to maybe sell some more home decor products. Things that mm, while yeah. people are while people are stuck at home, that's a good point, honestly. Yeah, and we don't know if it's going to work or not. And uh, and I just hired like an operations manager who's going to like be the manager of my 15 employees and a whole. And like we're, we've been booming, and we've mm-hmm. ever since those that little downturn, we've, and the economy's been booming. We've been booming, and now it's like the first time. And I'm already trying to make adjustments. We wanted to hire like two more things, and we're kind of holding off a week or two. But I'm just staying positive. And trying to make adjustments with what we sell and stuff, but it's it's crazy. Maybe there's going to be a huge global downturn, and I don't know what to do. But I know that we'll be able to handle it. And, and um, yeah, but it's fun times, man. And and that's what entrepreneurs kind of thrive on. I like yeah. challenges, and I like having to make adjustments here and there. So I keep that attitude too. That yeah. this is fun. We have to adjust, and even though it's tough and hard, no, I can tell that you enjoy it. Like I can definitely tell that you know you realize it's not easy and you don't really want it to necessarily be easy. Like, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you, I feel like you like those twists and turns and you know, of course, stressful, but enjoyable. Right. Yeah. And for young entrepreneurs are, that are listening, that is my key to success. And you hear it with Gary Vee and everything. Love the process, love the process. And what, what that means to me is I sell girls clothing. I don't give a shit about girls <laughs> clothing, you know, like, and from the beginning, like even back to my story, what do I want to sell? And yes, it helps if you're passionate about your product or your service, but I, do, I love the business. I love finding the marketplace where this monogram thing, finding it, recognizing it, why it's a good uh, niche because it's built a niche. People love buying things over and over. They already love clothes. Girls love shopping online, blah, blah, blah. I love, and then Finding that was fun and then building the business is fun. Hiring the employees, managing the employees. It's very hard to manage 50 employees who are wage yeah. workers. Uh, dealing with that, building an environment where you want to attract people. Uh, I love 
that part of it. Hiring an operations manager, figuring out, okay, we order from our supplier, then we lay it out here, and then, and then it goes to this department, it goes to this department. We have so many little logistics. With it. We basically have a, a, a warehouse and a factory, mm-hmm. a manufacturing factory, and there's so many little kinks from the supply chain, from where it goes to where yeah. it goes to. And then we had to build this whole system with a server where every single file that we used to have someone hand make each file. And now it's all automated. All the fun logistics. That's the part that I love. And I get my rocks. I like where (laughs) I get my, it's fun. And I love that part. And that's the process of building it. And that's what I love and get excited about. And um, that's why I'm so excited to go from 15 to 30 people. I'm currently looking with my real estate guy to try to find a bigger building. And like, that's the part I Mm -hmm. love. And I never, want to get it to a point where it's set up and I can go chill and relax on the beach. Yeah. Well, you know, if you have that mindset, I think you're going to lose because that's no fun for me. Sitting on the beach would be so boring. (laughs) Too much sun. Not enough work. (laughs) Like, yeah, it might be fun for a day or two, but eventually you're going to be hungover. No, I I know what you mean. It's like, I don't know. At least for me, I get a sense of fulfillment out of my work and I feel like you do as well. And, um, so with, the, with that being said, I mean, like, I know you have your own podcast. So what are, you know, some consistent traits of successful people that you've seen that you've had on that show, you know, with all the people that you sat down and interviewed as well? Consistent traits of successful people. I mean, that is one that I would say is loving, having passion for the process over the product. And honestly, just like being smart and strategic and thinking for yourself so many people they 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 hear the basic traits of like starting a business and they just kind of follow it and they uh they don't think outside the box or like they they no i think you're that's what i mean no i do it's kind of like at least in the agency space right because that's what i'm most familiar with i feel like everyone's kind of like copy paste. How am I going to do this exact same thing? Without like looking and asking, how can we innovate our process to be different? Yes. Yes. Copy paste. So many people do that. So many people, uh, they like, all right, I'm going to start a podcast. Because it works for the short term. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, does it like, and I'm going to be exactly like Gary Vee or I'm going to be exactly like, uh, Tony Robbins. I want to inspire. That's one thing I see a lot with a lot of young Uh people who want to start in the podcasting business or in the like, advice giving business mm-hmm. they 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 love what like uh people do by inspiring other people yeah, they, yeah. Want, they want that for themselves they want to be the person mm-hmm. that gets thousands of views and, and people going to them oh thank you so much for helping me they that's what they desire and that uh-huh. is an that is an admirable thing to desire mm-hmm. to to want to help other people so they're like 18 19 they want that and yeah. then they go from that point, point A, and they, and they try to go right to point C, which is helping people. But I say you need a point B. You need to, which is for, to, for me, build a skill or build. Mm. Why are good people going to listen to you? Yeah, I totally why, agree. Why yeah. are people going to listen to you? Now, I, waited, I always wanted to like maybe start my own podcast. I'm honestly just doing that shit for fun. Like, uh, mm-hmm. And I think I have a lot of good things to say. Now, I have... I've done over $10 million in e-commerce in very specific ways. That's why I think some people should listen to me. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe not even good enough. But like, why would someone listen to someone who is just regurgitating advice that they've learned from other people? I mm-hmm. think that if you're going to be in the advice giving game, 
you need to spend at a minimum, I say a minimum of seven years doing and, and creating something that is unique yeah. or, 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 or a product or service or something that's unique. But so many people, they just want to start some type of podcast or a class or a master class giving advice. Like they want to help people. And the only thing they ever know is, uh, all right, I'm going to start a master class on how to start master class on how to start master class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You like do something, be unique in your, in your market. Like do something, create something. Uh, no, I agree. A ton, and, yeah. and I think I, I see not enough people doing that. And I learned a lot of the advice in the mindset stuff from learning from other people, from reading about it, from, before they were before I started listening to audiobooks, I would go to Barnes and Noble. Before I had any money, I would start reading a book. I would, I would bookmark it. I would leave it at the shelf at Barnes and Noble, and I would go back to Barnes and Noble the next day and read it. Uh, but yeah. like I, <laughs> that, that's where I got my my knowledge from other people, and I think it's smart to learn from other people. Mm-hmm. But but when you create your business, don't like try to try to be unique. Yeah. In what you do, and uh, I think I think too many people regurgitate, copy yeah. paste business models and um and and that i forget the exact question but i see a lot of that in the young entrepreneur space no i agree i, f- I feel like a lot of people you know they see like gary v succeeding they see um you know like grant cardone these big figures and they figure i that's what i need to do i need to build a huge social media and say what they're saying when in reality they're speaking from experience and that's like one right. of the best things where they you got to be true to you because you're not going to get to Gary V's level acting like Gary V. And, and I mean, and I mean, Gary V sold wine. Exactly. And like, he was very specific to that up until he was like 30. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, and that is a very specific thing, selling wine. And if you're going to sell wine, it's going to take years to become good at selling wine. So like, if you don't, if, and that's, that's very specific to selling a product. So like, if you just want to be Gary V, what, why do you, why should anyone listen to you? Yeah, no, and, I get what you're saying. I do. Yeah. So if it's sell a products and then start selling a product, and that's going to take seven to ten years to to get good at, and like, and and no people, and most people don't even sell a product. They yeah, just yeah, yeah. they just start a podcast, and then they just try to get other people on to have a podcast, and then they just like they will try to like do a quote with them, picture themselves, and like a quote mm-hmm. that like. I ever since I started my podcast, I've actually stopped. I love Gary Vee, of course, but I've tried to stop listening to him i've tried to cut them off because i i'm trying to be as unique as possible and give you know and it's hard because i think uh business advice is kind of like nutrition it's i mean eat healthy yeah yeah honestly but uh like be you my advice i forget your exact question but for young entrepreneurs who are starting it's tempting to put your face out there and, but I would say buckle down and become an expert in a very specific industry, whether it's selling, I mean, selling a product is my expertise. And I, I say selling products is a great way to start, but a service, uh, mowing lawns, uh, I don't know, plumbing or fixing computers or way, what's a better way you can scale that? Like a service businesses are great ways. I would say, Think of a, I mean, business 101, product or service. Think of a product or service. Think of a very specific niche, whatever it is, and then think of a, a way that it, you can do it at scale. And uh, start it, do it. You're probably going to have to make a lot of pivots. Yep. And, and start a business. If you're an entrepreneur, what an entrepreneur means is that you start a business. So start a business, 
find customers, sell gizmos or gadgets or sell a service, do it, build a customer base, do it for years, build an audience, resell to those customers, do really, really well in that. It's going to take years and years and years. Do that. And then you have some advice to give other people because you did it. And everyone's skipping that step. Everyone's, Mm -hmm. so many people try to go from A to Gary V and they don't have any credibility in, in between. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Definitely. I feel like that is a huge part of entrepreneurship is just, you know, building something and then just like going from there if you want to give advice. But so that's why I don't know, for me personally, I give a lot of personal advice to my friends and business advice to some of them who want to start businesses, you know, because they're younger. But like, I, I'm never jumping around screaming like, hey, you want to make 100K a year? Come fight. You know what I mean? Like when I make a million a year, you know, then I'll have a little more, but not even at that point. So I get where you're coming from for sure. And um, so now we're getting towards the end of the podcast. So I just got a few questions I love to ask all my guests. Are you feeling ready for those, Sean? I'm ready. All right, let's get them. So the first one is what is the most valuable skill that you have developed? What do you feel like that is? Throughout all of your entrepreneurial journeys and whatnot. Hiring employees. Mm. It's hard. It's complicated. And especially yeah. for me, for me, it's been labor employees. Hourly per- people who are shipping packages, printing shirts. That's different mm-hmm. than hiring like a, a creative type. Or a, a, yeah, a yeah. So like, it's all about building company culture. It's all about, and I, I've, hired, I've had 15 employees, but I've hired over 60 because I've had some turnover. I've had some good people, some bad people. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely a skill. And keeping them happy, and it's uh, it's just I've developed over time. Who to know is going to be good at the specific thing. It, it's, it's I can feel my experience. Yeah. How do you build that culture? It's hard. It's hard. And one of the things you have to do is care about the people, and, mm-hmm. you, and you have to think about if they're if they're clickiness. If you have four people and they and they're all whiners, one of the main things I do now, my most basic advice on this, when you're hiring someone, is go to their Facebook page or their Instagram, see if they're whiners and complainers. Yeah, honestly, yeah. If they're whiners and complainers and they're, and they're, and that's their natural state. And then there's another employee in the company and they go out to lunch together and they, if they're whiners and complainers and they got nothing to whine and complain about, what are they going to whine and complain about? The company. So then yep. two, people, two people go out to lunch. They come back from lunch. All they did at lunch was whine and complain about the company. Are those two employees going to be two that I work hard for you? No. So you need to hire people mm. who don't complain. You need to, and then once you have four or five, monitor the clicks know who in your i like i would love to have four or five employees who all don't aren't friends they aren't friends with each other at all outside of work you know you want camaraderie you want them to not hate each other so they dread coming in Mm -hmm. but i'm not friends with my employees i'm which is tough for me because i'm a cool guy like i'm not friends with my employees there needs to be a line there and uh monitoring clicks because if two or three people are friends and they go out and especially if they're like, I, I, if they're like, say you're like a lawn mowing company and they're out on the mm-hmm. job and they're complaining about the boss, then it just, it spreads. So I've gotten really good at hiring the right people, people who don't complain, people who I understand why they're there uh-huh. selling them on, Hey, you work for a small company and you're important. You're valuable. I've got a lot of people who have worked for like big companies before retail, yeah. Walmart, grocery stores. Now they come to my company, they feel important. I make sure they feel important. And then I make sure the people that are all put around them mm-hmm. are not complainers and I monitor clicks. And if I see a click, I look at it and I say, I just had two employees who actually just went on a trip together. Yeah. And I know those two employees love the company, so I'm cool with it. But I monitor clicks and hiring. It's a skill I've had to develop. 
Uh-huh. And it, it's hard. It's not easy the first time, but you get better and better at it. No, for sure. Definitely. So, and then what is some advice that you hear often, but you personally think is bad that you disagree with, right? Cause I know there's a lot of advice out in, you know, the entrepreneur space and every time there's always an entrepreneur, when I talk with them, there's always something that they disagree with. So, you know, what's kind of like something you hear often, but. All right. There's this like quote and it's, uh, the average millionaire has seven income streams. Yeah. And have you ever seen that? Yes. Of like, course. It, like young entrepreneurs, I think take that. And that they think that means that they need to do seven different things. Yeah. My advice is, is, and I think this is so important for young entrepreneurs and it's focus on one thing. And for me, it was always, it was, it's like, and it doesn't mean don't pivot because pivoting is very important. You need to strategically pivot. You need to be smart, but, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. That's like a, a, from a book or something. It's like, and that's like five years. So mm-hmm. it takes time to be good at something. It takes time to be good at whether it's, whether it's uh, like for me, shipping logistics, hiring a very specific kind of employee, uh, building an audience, Facebook ads. Like these are all things yeah. that I've, I've gotten really good at. And, and I've actually, through all my pivots, I've kept those fun, fundamental things. So Focus on one thing. And I think people see that seven income stream thing and they're an entrepreneur and they're young and they want to do all these different things. So they're like, all right, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a t-shirt site. I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start yeah, getting, I'm going to start YouTube. Is, all yeah. That stuff. And like, mm-hmm. and they never become an expert at one thing. And like, if you start becoming an expert, say you do start a YouTube channel and you want to be an expert in, uh, getting a YouTube audience and getting views and selling and getting ads on that. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take years and years and years. And if you do it for like two years or say two months for a young entrepreneur and you're like, Oh, this isn't working. And then you go try to start a restaurant. And then uh-huh. after, two, and then after a couple of months, that's not working. And then you try to start um, uh, like a service business where you go mow people on. That doesn't work. You spend three months on that. Then you try to start a Shopify site selling t-shirts. Now you just spent two years, but you haven't put any time in towards being an expert at one thing. So it's so easy for young entrepreneurs to think that they need to be good at everything. They need to have all these income streams. They need to be a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. No. The reason why millionaires have seven income streams is because they got rich doing one thing and then they diversify their money. Yeah. I... I'm not, I am, I've made $0 on my podcasting and my personal branding. And mm-hmm. I often have thought to myself, why the hell do I do this? Jeff Bezos doesn't do it. Yeah. And, and I, my answer is I'm just doing it for fun. And like, mm-hmm. uh, and I have money for my business. So like, honestly, but focus on one thing. You don't need to have seven income streams and you don't need to do a bunch of different things. Gary V didn't start doing all these different things until he was very successful yeah. in his wine business. So doesn't mean don't pivot. It doesn't mean stick with something that doesn't work and keep doing it. But every single business is so hard. 95% of companies fail. So if you're going to get rich or if you're going to be successful in business, you're going to have to fight through obstacles in whatever one thing that you get good at. True. Yeah. There's no easy, just like, here's your million. If you're doing five things in each of those five things, you're going to get to that obstacle point, And then you're just going to go to one of your other things. 
you have to fight through those obstacles in in one thing in order to be have enough market share to yeah. be a sustainable business. So the bad advice is all millionaires have seven income streams. And I think 21-year-olds hear that and they do seven different things and they never become yeah. an expert in one thing. All of a sudden they're 30 and they don't have any money. Yeah. I waited until I was 30 until I've had 10 million doing one thing. And then I started my podcast. Sometimes like I get mad at myself because my podcasting is like my second thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, it's like, it's like a couple hours a week and um, whatever. Yeah. But that's the piece of advice that I think is terrible that yeah. you should be doing a lot of different things. I disagree with that completely. No, I definitely hear you for sure. Cause it's the same thing with a lot of my friends who are like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, try something and keep trying it. So you find something you're interested in and enjoy it and then go deep into that. Like, yeah. So, and that's why like, yeah. I like my, my, my t-shirt story. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got the screen printing equipment. I, I, I figured, so I started with t-shirts, but I, I figured out I hated the screen printing business, but then I didn't know the name thing. And then I liked, I didn't know. So I had t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I, stuck, I stuck with that because I already knew how to print t-shirts. Yeah. So like I always, but I, I, st- you know, in, in a weird way, I stuck with one thing. Yeah. You compounded it, those skills. I compounded the skills. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And all my skills throughout the whole time. I, I learned about Shopify. I learned about building e-commerce sites. I learned about shipping logistics. I learned about uh, where I'm getting my blank t-shirts for my suppliers. It, I, I built on those skills through all those mm-hmm. minutes. And yeah. that is, it's cause it's weird. Cause I tell people to focus on one thing and then they hear my story and it's like, well, you that. tested, you tested and then you I, went deep. I, strate- I get what you're coming I, from. I strategically yeah. pivoted and, and, I, and I didn't know what one of I was exactly in the position that so many young entrepreneurs are in. They're like, I don't know what to do. I still like, I just start somewhere. Like you said, I I just got some screen printing equipment in my mom's basement. Like, I don't know why (laughs) it just showed up one day. wasn't even delivered by Amazon. (laughs) I still don't know why I did that. But like, I was like, all right, I can create a physical product. And then like, yeah, so just start. And if what you start with is some type of service thing, like, I don't know, then you could just build on adjust it. But don't quit for the sake of you're bored with it or you don't like it or like quit because of a strategic ribbon and don't quit. Try to pivot, try to take something that you learned and mm-hmm. build on it or pivot from it. And that's how, that's how yeah, you figure out. That's most how you figure definitely. Out. Most yeah. definitely. So our last question we got here is, you know, Sean, even with all the success you have had as an entrepreneur, uh, there's always things, you know, as entrepreneurs can improve in their life and business. So what are you personally looking to, you know, improve upon in either your life or your business right now? Well, one thing that's fun for me is my podcast is not like a success in my personal brain. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to be back to square one. Uh, and I know how to sell products. I sell products every day, but I have not had success yet. I'm only a couple of months into uh, mm-hmm. the business of content and YouTube and selling uh, ears or like getting people's attention yeah. and time rather than selling them a product. And, uh, so it's fun to be back at square one and that's my new challenge. Uh, my new challenge is, uh, trying to have this like successful podcast or, uh, kind of building up my personal brand. And, uh, so, and honestly, like for a very selfish reason, like, I just think, I just want, I just like want to be famous. I think it'd be cool. And I think that is like terrible, like emotional advice to people. Like just, <laughs> it, I want to be honest famous. though. Some but people really, honest, it, I mean, Gary V is honest about that too, you know? Yeah. And my happiness yeah. doesn't depend on it. Like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't end up being famous, like I, I've, I tell myself all the time not to get wrapped up in my podcasting thing. And my most important thing is building my business. And I'm, I obsess over mm-hmm. building my business. 
And I never, I never get lost in the fact that that is what's the most important thing to me. Um, but I'm fun having fun being back at square one with this podcasting thing and having a whole new project where I'm basically, I use the analogy that uh, I am back in my mom's basement with my yeah, podcast. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out exactly if I'm having guests, my podcast, if I'm doing more of a solo podcast mm-hmm. uh, and then like, it's kind of like, T-shirts, uh, you know, Notre Dame, America, uh-huh, yeah. and I'm pivoting and I'm adjusting, but uh, I want to get better at that. I, it's a fun thing that I'm trying to get that I'm trying to improve on, and it's fun because it's giving me a new little side challenge. As mm-hmm. I have, I don't have to print and ship as many shirts myself now as I yeah. have, so I do have a little bit of time, and I'm a go 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 guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my new challenge and my new thing that I'm trying to get better at is. Uh, building up this podcast and uh, one new challenge I've had on the business side is we've as we've had nine 12 employees I just hired a, a manager I'm paying him like 80 to 100 grand a year a big a manager and he's the manager of all my people mm-hmm. and I've never managed a, a manager, manager yeah so that is it's a whole new thing for me That's a good point and he's coming in bringing these like big words and processing words and like different lingo and like so uh, that's one thing I'm currently dealing with is how to manage a manager who's like, he's, I try, he's smarter than me in some ways. He has good experiences in different business logistics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've hit a few walls on like lingo and logistics and how to do things here and there. So that's a fun thing I've been dealing with on that side is how to manage a manager. Uh, so that's, that's something I'm, I'm working on too, but it's something I'm going to have to do. If I'm going to build a, 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 you know, a labor-based employee-based resource-based business. So it's been, yeah. fun. it's been fun. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you for coming on today, Sean. Where's the best place for our listeners to follow up with you at? Sean Lowry 20, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, type in Sean Lowry. 20 favorite number? 20 is my number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. 20 is my number. <laughs> that was just my number. I was assigned in, uh, in uh, like middle school and I was like, went with it. 20. And yeah. so this is my year, 2020. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you got two of them. Double down. Everyone's saying 2020 <laughs> is the worst year. Kobe Bryant died. We have a global pandemic. And uh, it's my number, 2020. So uh, I hope. It'll, it'll turn around. I have no doubt it turns around. It'll turn it will. Around. It definitely will. No yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I love yeah. talking business. I know I, I know I ramble a lot, so sorry about talking <laughs> No, that's that's why we brought you on, right? To share your knowledge. So I appreciate it a ton, Sean. All right. It's been a pleasure. And that is a wrap. As for my top three takeaways from the podcast, the first one is simple. And I even think Sean mentioned, you know, entrepreneurship being more simple than people make it. It's kind of like uh, health where, you know, it's if you eat well and you work out, you get good sleep. Well, guess what? You're going to be pretty healthy. Same with entrepreneurship. And the first step of that is really just take action, show up. This is more for those of you who haven't started a business yet and you want to or haven't you know, started a goal that you want to get towards because this just isn't about helping people with business. I love business, but I realize it's not for everyone, right? So if you wanted to start apply for internship, reach out to somebody. You got to take action. You got to take action. That's the beginning to everything. And then the second point is pivot till you find something and then go deep into it, right? So I know Sean brought this up with all the different, you know, interesting niches he got into before he arrived at one that he is now having a lot of success with. And he's a guy who really enjoys the process and success. He doesn't exactly 
care if that process looks sexy or not. You know, some people do care about that. Some don't. Everyone's different. But what I found with, um, what I found to be very valuable just about that is it's something I tell my friends all the time. They come to me and they're like, Gavin, I don't know what to do. Or if they're like, I'm doing something, but I'm not really happy with it. I'm having some success, but I feel like I have a greater calling or whatever it is. Well, first off, realize that whatever you're doing, there is honor within that if you're doing it in the right way, right? So if you're a plumber and you want to like a, say you start a plumbing business, well, gosh, you know, people need that service. That's important. And you're going to be employing, you know, lots of people. You're going to be helping families save somebody stress and a Saturday evening, a Saturday, a whole Saturday, like stuff matters. It may not look sexy, but it matters. But going back to basically pivoting to you find something and then go deep on it. I tell my friends like, Hey, if you don't know what to do, pick something, go deep on it for a month. It doesn't matter what it is. Just pick something, take action on it, take action, learning about it, maybe starting to even implement it depending on what it is and how quickly you can jump into that. But if you're still interested after that first month and you're like, you know, this is kind of fun. Like it's not easy, but damn, this is kind of fun because nothing's going to be easy. Just letting you guys know. Um, there are definitely easier ways that you can, you know, curve your learning by seeking mentors and uh, educating and learning from others' mistakes. And, you know, I'm not going to get into all the different ways, but nothing is just going to be handed to you. Like, man, here's your free pass. Like, congrats. You found the one thing that can make you seven figures in, in three weeks. No, it takes time and you're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes, but you want to go deep in something. And then if you either don't have success with it or you're not interested and you're just not fired up by it anymore. Cause some people are fired up just by success. Some people are fired up by what they're doing. Um, so at that point when you're not interested, if it gets to that point, you pivot, right? Like Sean was talking about, you pivot and you go into something else. Maybe it's, you know, magic. Maybe it's hypnotism. Maybe it's drop shipping. Maybe it's sales somewhere, you know, um, whatever it is, just pick something, go deep into it. And if you enjoy it and it'll make you money, well, guess what? That's awesome. But you don't know until you take action and you actually choose something. So then the third one is stick to what is genuine to you, right? That will get you the furthest. Don't try to be someone you're not, right? A lot of times, and I see this out of a very good um, intention, is entrepreneurs, especially young ones, or just young people in general, will try to be someone, um, you know, who either is like a motivational speaker, or maybe they're trying to be like a smart, like, like entrepreneur type, and that's not genuine to them. You can tell it kind of like makes them like a little uncomfortable. And I would just say like stick what's genuine to you and make sure that you share your truth, right? So you're not going out there saying, acting like, you know, you have a voice that's going to make people millions of dollars if you like cannot deliver on that, right? So that's why a big part of why I started the show. And I even said this in my intro episode is I bring on, you know, millionaires, people who have done great things. So that way we can learn from them together. I'm open at the point where I haven't made a million dollars yet. I'm never going to go to someone and be like, Hey, want me to teach you how to make a million dollars? You know, I'll, you know, maybe eventually, um, I'll, only reason I say maybe is because I don't know if I'm gonna, I guess, sell education or, you know, uh, consulting in that sense. But I know for a fact, I'll be a millionaire. Some people think it's cocky. I just, it's true. So why wouldn't I say it? But, um, yeah, 
you gotta, you gotta stick what's genuine to you because you're going to get way further being you because you can become the best version of you with your interests than you will if you try to copy somebody like Gary V, right? Because if you try to copy his style of communication, you're only going to be a subpar version of him, which will get you a little traction, but in the long run, it's not going to, in the long run, that kind of copy and paste method is not going to work. You could take some aspects of what's working really well from him if it's still genuine to you in his style of communication or whatever, but it has to be your message. It has to be you at the end of the day, and that will get you way further than trying to you know copy someone else's uh, game really ever will. So with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.